Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you here today. And uh, it, as we said, if you're a guest, we want to personally welcome you. And uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, before we get started, just a couple things uh, that we want to let you know about in, in addition to that. First of all, uh, this this week, our uh, worship pastor, Dom, who is not with us this morning, his wife, uh, his sister, sorry, um, had tragically passed away, kind of unexpectedly, and uh, so that's why he's not here today. And uh, I thought we'd take a time as a church family to just lift their family up in prayer. Uh, she's just a couple years older than Dom and uh, has a couple younger or teenage uh, kids, and so let's pray for their family um, as we get started. God, we uh, sometimes just don't understand we don't understand why some things happen. Uh, we don't understand uh, the pain and the, the suffering that sometimes is a part of our experience. And God, in those times, we, we search for words, and, and sometimes the only thing we can do is fall on you uh, in your presence and ask you for your peace. And so this morning, we pray that you would bring peace to Dom and to his whole family. We pray that I know this uh, week he's been working hard to help with details and to be a counselor and to be a, uh, an uncle to his niece and nephew and to be strong for his family. And God, I pray that you would bring comfort to him and to Tara. And uh, we just pray that you'd just bring comfort in that family now. And uh, Lord, just blessings on, that, on the kids who are affected, who've just lost their mother, that you'd meet them in this place. And so uh, we're not trying to make sense of it, but we ask uh, that you'd be very present in the midst of this pain. So we lift them up to you this morning and give them to you in your name. Amen. We thought that, you know, and, and as Tim mentioned, uh, a lot of people are going through things. In the last year and a half, we've experienced all kinds of pain and, and uh, setbacks, and uh, it's been a difficult season uh, for a lot of people. And so one of the purposes of doing this ser series is called Repurpose, and it's what God does when he kind of takes uh, our lives and redeems them and, and, and starts to speak purpose and meaning back into it, because we do live in a broken world. We live in a world where there is pain and when things are not as they should be. And, and we believe that God is in the process of redeeming and restoring us and restoring his creation, inviting us in to his story. And so really that's what this is um, about. And, and so that's what we're talking about. Now, before we get started with this morning's thing, what I'd love to do is today our theme is second chances. So really quickly, I want you to just, with somebody next to you, just say, when is a time in your life when you wish you could have a do-over? Just a quick one. It can be a funny story. It can be, you know, that first date. It can be whatever it is, but just really quickly, what's a, a do-over moment you wish you could go back and get a second chance? There you go. You got 30 seconds. Some good stories there. <laughs> so yes, today is one of those, the theme is uh, when 
what God can do. What about the setbacks and the times when maybe things didn't go the way you expected or hoped they would go? It's part of our human nature. You know, this week when I was studying uh, for and preparing for this message, um, I was reading some different stories, and I found that scientists are working on something that, that ethically, I think, obviously crosses a line. But uh, years ago, they cloned a sheep. I don't know if you remember that, when they cloned a sheep. And so scientists from that point on are like, yeah, what's the ethics of doing that with a human? And so I read that they are cloning a human, and they've chosen Chance the Rapper to be the one that they're cloning. Now, you might think of, okay, where did that come from? Why would you even think of cloning? Why Chance the Rapper, of all the rappers out there? And they thought it's because everyone wants a second chance. No? No? Do that again. Do I do that next service or no? Okay. (laughs) Just got to put yourself out there sometimes. All right. Some of you are just getting it. You're like, what else? Oh, I got, okay. <laughs> I don't think that story was true, by the way. Don't, don't get <laughs> upset about it. But we all are, we, one of my favorite themes, actually, when I look at books and movies, one of my favorite themes are those redemption stories. Those stories where someone does get a second chance, where they get that other opportunity to maybe make up for a mistake or to reach to a level that they never could reach to in the past. That's one of my favorite themes. In fact, it's so popular that we do see it in tons of movies and tons of stories. Even probably one of the most famous stories of all that's been redone probably more than any other second chance stories when you think of like the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. You know, that's the story where Scrooge gets a chance to look at his past look at, and look at the present, the, the circumstances and how he's affecting people. And then he gets a picture of what the future is and he, he, he wakes up from the dream or the vision or whatever it is and then he gets to do, live his life differently. He gets a second chance, a new lease on life. And runs out and gives the money to the poor and buys the big goose and then Tiny Tim's okay and all of that stuff. It works out. But deep in our heart is we love those stories. We love those stories because it's such a a need, a deep-seated need in all of us to get that redemption opportunity, the second chance. To have an opportunity for God to redeem something that was broken or to come out of the ashes of, of, of a dark time and to experience joy. Because really in life, we know that we're all going to have times when we're going to run into roadblocks, setbacks. We're even going to have some that happen to us and some that we create from our decisions. There's going to be mistakes that we'll make. In fact, research shows that 100% of people will sin and fall short of the glory of God. You are going to have setbacks that you bring upon yourself even. And so this today, this series is about understanding this purpose that God has given to us. But really today what we want to answer is what does it look like when we feel like we let God down? Or when we feel like we let someone else down? Or maybe even we feel like we let ourselves down? Or someone else let us down? How do we deal with that? And what does God say about those moments? So that's where we're going here today. Now, for those of you who like to follow along and, and read and take notes, we're going to be in a, we're going to follow the story of the life of one of the disciples named Peter. And I'm going to take you through a few passages, and I don't have all the verses up there for you, but I'll show you where they are. So, and it's going to be all in order in your Bible. So if you want to start in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at the life of Peter, one of the disciples, and what I think we're going to find, what I know we're going to find today, is in his story, it's something that we can all relate to. Of this story of finding his purpose and identity of massive failure, and then what do you do with that? 
And so, if you want to follow along, we're starting in Matthew chapter 4, and let's talk about the story of Peter. Okay, ready to go? Let's go. Uh, starting in verse 18, this is where we start to, we're introduced to Peter. And it says, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, if you like to take notes and write in your Bible and underline and all that stuff, underline they were fishermen. Because it's a part of the story that we want to know. They were fishermen. When you talk with your friends and people, or meet new people, what's one of the first questions we often ask in our culture? Yeah, what do you do? Hi, what's your name? What do you do? In other words, we're asking, what, who are you? I'm a fisherman. That's the, the identity was placed there. Now, Verse 19, Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. A little context, a little side note, this probably is not the very first conversation they ever had with Jesus. They probably have been listening to his teaching. In fact, we know from the beginning of the book of John that there was, they were debating with each other, saying like, hey, we found this guy. We think he might be the Messiah. We're hearing his teaching. There's something new about him. Let's go and see. So it's not like they randomly saw some guy on the shore who said, follow me, and I'll make you fishermen. They're like, oh, okay, that sounds good. There, there's some context to this story, and there's some background. So they already had become a little bit familiar with him, but Jesus now says, follow me, and I will make you fishermen. Notice what he does. In this moment, Jesus says, I know who you think you are is you're a fisherman, but I'm going to make you something different. Come and be my disciple. Come and follow me. So their identity has been changed right there. They have a bigger identity of being a disciple of Jesus. And that's one thing that for all of us to start with as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, our identity, our adjective that describes our life is Christian. We are a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Then whatever comes after that is fine. You can be a Christian fisherman, a Christian pastor, hopefully. Uh, you can be a, a, a Christian whatever else you are, but what defines you is not pastor or fisherman or doctor or parent. It's Christian. And, and that's, we even talked about that a lot last year when we were talking about racial relations and all of that and understanding, oh, I'm a Christian who happens to be white, or you might be a Christian who happens to be black. Our identifying factor is our life in Christ, and that informs then how we behave in each of those things. You tracking with me on that? So Jesus in this moment says, I'm going to make you something more than a fisherman. You will be my disciple, a follower of me. That's your new identity. So verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him with a new life that would be defining them from that point on. Okay, fast forward in your Bibles, a few pages over to Matthew chapter 16. We're obviously not looking at every moment in Peter's life, but these are some of the big moments. Matthew 16 has this epic moment, this great story. In fact, when I lead tours to Israel with some of you, uh, one of the places I love to go is where this story happens. I don't get to give you all the context for it this morning, but it's this great place in Caesarea Philippi, and there's this giant rock, uh, and Jesus is using an object lesson to talk to them, but in it, he says, who do people say I am? And finally, Peter comes to the point, and, and then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says this in verse 15 of chapter 16 of Matthew. He says, uh, Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, meaning the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. 
So at this point, to this point, Peter was, went by the name Simon. It's a point in the story. Simon essentially means like a pebble. He's from a fishing village. Perhaps it's like a pebble on the side of a, of a lake. And uh, so he's known as Simon, a pebble, a small rock. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Father is heaven. And in verse 18, and I say to you that your name now is Peter, which means giant rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. So in this moment, what he does is he says, I'm going to even speak greater identity to you. No longer it's just you're just my disciple, but I'm going to give you a specific purpose, a specific calling. Now, some of us, we may never get to that point where we say, God, what is my calling in life? What specifically do you want me to do? We talked about last week, we know we're all called to represent his name. We're all called to walk in, in the good works that he's prepared for us and to live our lives in Christ. We know that's our calling, but Peter was given the specific one. You're gonna lead the church. You're gonna be the beginning. You're gonna start, and this is not in the sense of, of the first pope, although he's known as that in the Catholic tradition, but this is by, on this confession and the first followers, you're gonna be their leader, Peter. So Peter was uniquely gifted and positioned to do this, and Jesus calls it out of him. You have specific gifts and passions that you are unique to you. I believe that those are the things that God will specifically use in your life. Some of you are great teachers. God wants to use you to be a teacher. Some of you have great patience. God wants to use you in our junior high ministry. <laughs> some, some of you don't have great patience, and God doesn't want you in junior high ministry. He wants you to help park cars on Sunday morning. Not park them, but tell them where to go. Actually, maybe not that. He wants you to be one of our accountants. So, <laughs> but you have specific gifts and passions, and that's part of your identity and purpose and calling. And Jesus is calling that out of Peter. So this is this epic, great moment. Could you imagine being Peter and walking away there? He's like, man, upon this rock, I have a new name. He's gonna build his church. This is pretty awesome. Okay. So he lives in that identity. Now, we're not going to look at some of his failures. He has some more failures, tries to walk on water. He falls. He has one moment where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know, a few moments in his life. But we're going to skip those for now, and I want you to now to fast forward to Luke chapter 22. Keep going a few more pages over in your Bibles. And here's another moment in Peter's life. So remember, Peter has been given a new identity as a disciple, as you and I have. He's been given a specific calling, and it's a big one. Now, in Luke chapter 22, this is right before Jesus is going to be arrested and handed over to be crucified. And he's having a conversation with the disciples, and he says this, you are the ones who've stood by me in my trials, in verse 28. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you shall eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will be on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's, what amazing, I mean, this is another one of those moments. You're a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, you're with me, you're my followers, you're, 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 you're gonna share in the kingdom with me, this is an image of heaven, you're gonna sit on these thrones and judging the 12 tribes of Israel, just, this is, you're a disciple, you're thinking, this is amazing, what a calling we have. And then he goes to verse 31, and Peter looks over, or Jesus looks at Peter and uses his old name, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. <laughs> Don't you, I mean, isn't that, that's called a buzzkill moment right there. That's like, can't, Jesus, couldn't you have waited like at least 
a little bit? Can't we bask in the glory of, we're going we're gonna to share with you in your kingdom? And he goes, oh yeah, and by the way, he, uh, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. And the you is plural here, so it's saying to Simon, Satan's asked to sift all of you disciples like wheat, which is imagery saying he's going to put you through some tough trials. But verse 32, but I have prayed for you. Oh, thank God. Jesus prayed for him so the trials won't be there, right? I pray for you that your faith will not fail, and you, when you have turned back, will strengthen your brothers. Oh, hold on, Jesus. Say that prayer again. What's that prayer? Because I, I thought the prayer would be like, don't worry, but I prayed, and I, my prayers are stronger than what Satan demands. He wants to sift you with, with, like wheat, but I prayed that that doesn't happen, so you're fine, Peter. In fact, go buy a lottery ticket today. You're going to win. That's what I prayed for you. Jesus didn't pray that. What does he pray? Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, so I prayed that your faith will not fail while you're being sifted like wheat. While you go through this trial, while life comes down on you and it's difficult, I prayed that your faith will not fail. That's not the prayer I was expecting. I think I would have said, Jesus, let's, can you do a little better than that? <laughs> and then look what he says. When you have turned back. Turn back from what? Turn back from what? Oh, Peter, you're not only, I'm praying that your faith will stay strong, but you're going to screw up and go the wrong way. You're actually going to be not even off the track, but you're going to turn and go the wrong way. But you'll turn back. That's my prayer. And when you turn back, when you get through this, you're going to strengthen your brothers. That's my prayer for you. And then Peter, in verse 33, says, Oh, Jesus, thank you for the prayers. But you don't know. I'm willing to go to prison and even die for you. I know you're the son, and God, son of God and all, but I, you don't know me. I'm strong. I'm Pe Remember? Petras. I'm the rock. I got your back. I got your back. And Jesus said, Thank you for that. <laughs> but Peter, I tell you in verse 34, the rooster will not crow today until you've already denied me three times. Can you imagine that? You know, very few times do we, before a fall, see it coming. There's very few times we wake up in the morning and think, you know what, today I think I'm going to make some big mistakes. I think today is the day I turn my back on God. Why not? It's a good day for it. Who starts their day that way? Peter didn't see this coming. Kind of like the call that might come that you weren't expecting. The trial that can't comes your way that you didn't wake up and say, today I think we're going to face a tough trial. No, they come. And, Peter says, and Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times today. Isn't this crazy that, wait, this is Peter who was a fisherman and now is a disciple. Who's going to, God's going to build his church on him. He's the strong one. He has a unique calling. And what? He's going to deny Jesus? Well, if you know the story, it goes on. We're going to look at John's version. So turn over to John chapter 18. Now, one more book over. Talks about it in Luke, that same chapter of Luke. But I want to show you the John one because it specifically names Peter. And in verse 10, Jesus is being arrested now. So later that night, Jesus is being arrested. The disciples are there. As Jesus gets arrested, Simon Peter, since he had a sword, which I think is a great little, like, where did the sword come from? But he had a sword. He drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. 
which in scripture, when they use names, it's saying, hey, you wanna, you wanna know if the story's true? Go ask Malchus. He'll tell you. I'll remember the time when Peter cut off your ear. Anyway. So he cuts off, Peter, Jesus gets arrested. Peter pulls out the sword and so it's on. I'm willing to go to prison and to die for you. And he swings his sword and Jesus stops him, says, stop, stop, stop. Put the sword away. The cup which the Father has given me, am I not to drink? See, notice at this moment, Peter is still acting in his strength. He's still going out of what he knows and what he thinks is right. He's still in the strength of his own bravado and his own faith in himself. I got you. I got this. Jesus says, no, no, no. This has to happen. Later in that chapter, we find in verse 17, Jesus has been arrested. Peter's outside warming himself by a fire. Someone comes up and says, wait a minute, you look familiar. Weren't you in the garden with Jesus? And Peter says, no, no, I, I don't know Jesus. One time. A little bit later, comes up and says, hold on, hold on. I think you, weren't you the one who cut off my brother's ear? Uh, it's another guy who looks like me. It wasn't me. I have no idea who this Jesus guy is. I don't know him. Two denials. Finally, verse 26 and 27. They say, yeah, I swear you were with Jesus. I know I've seen you with him. And he calls down curses on himself. He says, cursed be me if I'm not telling you the truth. I have no idea who Jesus is. Cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> the rooster crows. Three denials. That moment Peter realizes that Jesus was right. And his strength wasn't enough. Peter's strength was not enough. And he runs out, devastated. Great story of the guy who Jesus is going to build the church on, right? So the question for us is when we're facing setbacks, maybe hardships, failures, what are the things we need to remember? And I want to show you a few things in the story of Peter that we need to remember when we face these hardships, these setbacks, trials in our lives that we bring upon ourselves or that are brought, brought upon us. And then we're going to finish Peter's story, but I want to start and give you a couple things to think about. So here's a few things to remember when we're facing those trials and setbacks in our lives. First thing is this, know that you're not alone. You're not alone. It's very tempting in life to think and to feel like you're alone. One of the biggest struggles we, that we can bring upon ourselves is that struggle that comes when we think we're in this all by ourselves. We're alone in this, but no, you're not alone. And in Christ, we have something even more. We have what's called the Holy Spirit, God incarnate who dwells in us. Look at this in John chapter 14, verse 16. I have this on the screen for you. Peter, Jesus is praying. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth, or this Holy Spirit. It says you know him because he remains with you, and he will be in you. So for those of us who are in Christ, who've given our lives to Christ, there's this promise in Scripture that says the Holy Spirit, who is God in spirit, who dwells in us, the Spirit of God. Paul actually goes far as to say the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in me. Can you believe that? 
The same spirit that rose Christ, raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in me. That's an incredible power. Would you agree? That's an incredible presence. And so a reminder for us is that, oh, in Christ, we are never alone. Are there times we feel alone? Yes, there are. But there's promises in Scripture, if, we're believe, if we are to believe it to be true, as God says, I will never leave you and forsake you. He says it throughout Scripture over a hundred times. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be with you. He remains with you and will be in you. You're never alone. I would go as far as to say that God brings a church family around you to be a reminder of that presence as well. Why we think it's important that you get to know other Christians other than in a large group situation is for those times in your life when you need a tangible, visible reminder of the presence of God in your life. Because there's times you just need other people. Those of you who struggle with mental health issues, you can attest to that. You know the, the importance of having someone who's on the journey with you. And if you're struggling with anxiety or depression and you're saying this is a part of my story and you're trying to do it on your own, I want to encourage you to reach out so we can get you plugged in with people to journey with you. Don't do it alone. Don't, don't face that, uh, that, those issues and say there's too much shame. I don't even want to admit it. No, no, no. We're with you. There's a family who loves you. We want you to experience the tangible presence of God. And sometimes you need people to journey with you, to listen, to hear your story, to remind you you're not alone. The Spirit of God is with you as well. So know you're not alone. Next thing that we see in the story, and that's something that Jesus was, was telling the disciples. Then the next thing is this. Trust that God's grace is enough See, there's sometimes in our lives when we think that we can out-sin God's grace or we can out-doubt or somehow be such a skeptic that God's gonna go like, all right, well, you have too, much, you have too many issues for me to be big enough for you because we're, we're these big humans, right? Our, our story's so big that it's, God can't handle our story. That's sarcasm. That's not true. <laughs> Remember, trust that God's grace is enough. You will lose your way at times. Notice what Jesus says to Peter. Oh, Peter, you are going to turn away from me. You are going to get lost. You're going to mess this thing up. <laughs> but don't worry. I prayed that your faith will not fail, even when you turn away and mess this up. And we, in those moments, we have to trust that God's grace is big enough for us. His grace is big enough. It's big enough for your sin. We're told in Romans uh, chapter 5, it says where grace abounds, sin abounds much more, 520. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is in the context of, what if I go on sinning? As sin increases, God's grace increases. In other words, you can't out-sin God's grace. Amen? Some of you try. <laughs> you can't. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Sometimes we need to receive God's grace meaning a trust that his grace is big enough in our failures or our weaknesses or our doubts or even in our trials. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Have this on the screen for you as well. He says this, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, it's enough. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. You don't have to be strong all the time. In fact, you can't. Peter thought he could be strong enough. He thought he was, he's, I've got this. I'm Peter. He had to learn and trust that God's grace was enough. Because his power shows up in our weakness. It's in those times when we fail that actually that's part of the process of growing and learning and trusting that we don't have to be enough. That God shows up in those moments. There's a Christian songwriter and author named Andrew Peterson and, uh, who's kind of on the artsy side. I love kind of his artistic, poet, poetic way of writing. But he has uh, a whole album uh, that's called A Light for a Lost Boy, and it, it's kind of about the loss of innocence and, and how we uh, grow up and lose our way. But he has a song that he wrote for his 13-year-old son, and in it there's a line, and, it, and it's about his son growing up, and in it there's a line where he says, you're gonna grow up and you're gonna get lost. <laughs> and, and, and I hear that from a dad and think, wow, he, he, he's almost promising to his kid, like, oh yeah, you're gonna lose your way. It's part of life. And in it, he says, but I want you in those moments to turn back, hold on to that ancient path, and you'll find your way back home. It's in these moments of sometimes that process of losing your way is a process of finding your way back, and we lose our way in trials that come. And Andrew Peterson, in writing about the song, he wrote this. This is not the song. This is what he wrote about it. He said, one of the grand things about growing up, I've learned, is that you're already ancient. Your soul, whatever your soul is, will live forever in Christ. And God exists outside of time. It's a crazy thought, isn't it? So God looks at us and sees the beginning and the end at once. Kind of like a song or a story. When you hold a book in your hand, you're holding that character's whole world. The terror, the joy, the lostness, and the final good ending. But if you think about it, the character in the story doesn't see the ending. He doesn't know his story is something that can be held in one hand. The character is feeling whatever he's feeling. And when you, read that, when you read that sentence, but the reader, a little bit like God, can flip to the end and see how it all works out. Maybe that's how God beholds our lives. He sees the ending, the middle, and the beginning as one good story. See, sometimes when we're in the middle of it, we wonder, God, is your grace going to be enough in this moment? Where's this going? But he sees it all and invites us into it. So trust that God's grace is enough. And here's the final thought for us. Listen to God's overpowering voice. Listen to the overpowering voice of God. Turn a few more pages in your Bibles to John chapter 21. See, Peter's story doesn't end with the denial. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus was crucified, laid in the grave, rose from the dead three days later, and even appeared to Peter. So Peter had already seen him had that moment. Could you imagine Peter seeing him alive in just that moment where you go like, okay, this is better. This is a little better. Then we get to John chapter 21. Jesus has already appeared to Peter. He's already seen him resurrected. And now we find this peculiar thing in John chapter 21 verse 3. They're hanging out up in Galilee. They left Jerusalem. They're back in their hometown. And Simon Peter says to the other disciples who are with him, I'm going fishing. 
Any of you who like to fish, you understand that there are times when you just need to say that. <laughs> Been a stressful week. I'm going to go fishing. Maybe for some of you, it's I'm going surfing. I remember when I got back from our Belize trip uh, with our students, it, it had been a busy summer to that point, and I looked at my staff and said, this morning I'm going surfing, I'm not bringing my watch, and uh, if you want to know where I am, I'm at Pipes, and I'll probably be there for eight hours floating in the water. Don't come find me, but that's where I am. <laughs> I'm going surfing. <laughs> Peter had a stressful week, to say the least, but there's more to it. He says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're coming with you. So they went out, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing, which isn't fishing. <laughs> I like catching, not fishing. But notice what he did. Remember how Peter's story started? He was a fisherman. I think in John chapter 21, Peter was going back to his old identity. He was saying, I know Jesus loves me, I, 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 but... I don't, I'm not worthy. I'm just not worthy. Yeah, he said I'm going to build. I messed up. I denied him three, I denied him. I said I didn't even know him. I'm glad I saw him. I'm glad he rose from the dead, but I'm not good enough for this calling. Not me. I, I blew it. I'm going fishing because I'm a fisherman. That's my identity. I can do that well. Just not that night. <laughs> Catches nothing. I think on purpose. God said, oh, no. Has this great moment. Jesus shows up. He's on the beach. Peter puts on his clothes, swims to the beach, uh, makes a little fire. They eat some fish together. They're having breakfast. And there's this great moment in chapter, or verse 15 of chapter 21. Jesus, first time, he says this, Peter, do you love me more than these? What are the these? I don't know. I think it's the fish. I think Jesus is saying, is this, is this do you love me more than this stuff, Peter? Do you love me more than your identity as a fisherman, more than these fish? Peter says, you know I love you, yeah. So Jesus says, tend my lambs, which was biblical imagery for take care of my people, by the way. Verse, that's the first time. Verse 16, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, uh, I guess you didn't hear me the first time. Uh, I said, yes, I love you. Of course I do. Jesus says, well, then shepherd my sheep. It's the word we have for pastor. Pastor my flock. Verse 17. Hey, Peter, uh, do you love me? At this point, Peter's just like, um, it's, it's like you wives talking to your husbands. That's what, this is that moment. Like, are you listening? <laughs> Peter looks at Jesus like, Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. You know I do. You know all things. He says, okay, tend my sheep. Three denials, three confessions. Jesus prayed, Peter, you're going to fall away. But when you turn back, strengthen my brothers. Strengthen the brothers. Feed the sheep. Pastor your people. Jesus was reinstating him. See, sometimes the failures and the setbacks allow us to see what we're actually banking our hope on. I think here, Peter was banking his hope on his strength, his wisdom, his power. And the failure allowed him to see how futile that was. Everything was stripped away. And he got to the point where he could find his success was measured by being fully dependent 
on God. And that's what he wants for us. Our walk with Jesus, he wants us to get to the point where we say, are you kidding? The the creator of the universe, I can fully depend on him? That's where God wants us to get to. To not depend on our skills, our gifts, our ability to accomplish anything, but get to the point where we say, you are all I need. It happens in Peter's life. Getting to the point as we talked in our teaching team where we realize that God is good. He's made us good and He's given us a calling and He's inviting us in and saying, Let me be enough for the process. So, as our worship team starts to make, make our way back up, the question for us today is, How are we going to respond to this today? What does this have to do with repurpose? For some of you, you're in here today and you're at a place where you feel like Peter oh yeah, I'm the one who denied Christ. I'm the one who keeps messing up. I'm the one who's not worthy. Maybe you're Peter before the fall, and you're saying, no, I'm strong enough. If you're like me, I, I, I grew, I'm the kind of person that says, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Both my parents were farmers. My dad became a Green Beret. We grew up in a house where it was just like, you say you're going to do it, do it. Just don't complain. Do it or don't do it. So my whole mentality is like, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm going to be a Christian. That's the way it is. Let's go. I'm strong enough. Some of you can relate to that. And there's times we realize like, oh, my strength is so weak. We need to learn to depend on this God, this holy God, who's this righteous God, who is worthy of our praise, in fact, demands it. This is not some like simple little invitation into a feel better life. It's an invitation into this great adventure with the highs and lows and the hardships and the joys and everything. But we get to do it with the creator of the universe. Doesn't that sound good? one who made all of this and he'll journey with us and he will be enough so you don't have to. So as we end our time, we're going to end our time in a, a time of communion and it's a great way for us to be reminded that this is all because of what Christ has done. That the very fact that we have communion, it's this symbol, this reminder that God, Jesus lived a real life. He died a death and rose from the dead for you and for me. He gave us the perfect way and he said, I give you my life because yours is not enough. I give you mine. So we're going to take the bread and the bread is God's body broken for you. And we're going to take the cup, the juice. It's a reminder of the blood of Christ that was shed for you. A reminder that he is enough for you today. He's enough to meet you in your trials. He's enough to meet you in your failures, enough to meet you in your doubt, enough to meet you in a moment where you're just saying, God, life hurts right now. He says, I'm enough. And here's what we're gonna do. We have a couple options for you. It has been, what, 16 months since we've been, since we've served communion in this way. And so we're gonna have some leaders at each of the tables up front. And just so you know, it's a, it's a different world. Those who are serving the bread to you will be putting on gloves for you, for those you concerned about it. We want to be sensitive and, and aware of every situation. And they're going to serve the bread to you, serve the cup to you. And if you prefer today, if you say, hey, I'm just not comfortable with that for health reasons, we have just right out on the plaza, for those of you on the plaza or inside, just slip out the doors and you can uh, self-serve the pre-packaged cups if that's more comfortable for you. We want you to not feel shame in that. We, we supply that for you. We want to bless you that way. 
But we're going to invite you in these next couple songs to would you go up and allow some of the leaders here at the church to serve you and to remind you of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and that that is enough for you. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. And thank you that you meet us in our failures, our setbacks, our fears, our doubts, our shame. And you and your grace is enough. So Lord, as we respond and take communion, would you fill this place with a sense of your presence and your spirit and remind us, God, that you're enough. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Just share these words as we go. Romans 8, 38, 39 says this. Receive this truth as you go today. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing will separate you from God's love today. Go now and uh, power of the Lord and the Spirit working in you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Next week is one of those, hey, let's all show up weeks. We're going to celebrate with baptisms. And again, if you still haven't uh, let us know you want to be baptized, let us know. And uh, let's pray for this week that God would use uh, next week to be a launching point for this year of ministry. So turn and say hello to the person you said your favorite ice cream to. And uh, go grab a cup of coffee together. And uh, we'll see you next week.